0: Good morning, greater all. How's everybody doing today? Anyway, uh we have been speaking about the book of Ephesians or looking at, learning into. Alan has talked for the last three weeks. He began the series on this. And um guys, I was just amazed. Last week, you know, he he talked the last three weeks about different positions we have or we should take because of our relationship with Jesus and what we have in Christ. Three weeks ago he we talked about sitting or resting and that resting does not mean inactivity but that we rest in the accomplishments of Jesus it says that Jesus is seated in heaven at the right hand of God and we are seated with him and guys what that means is that we can rest on his accomplishments we don't need to put forth effort to try to accomplish things that he has already accomplished he has had a major victory in overcoming sin and in overcoming death And we don't need to worry about those things anymore. I think the biggest way that that plays out is when it comes to our salvation. Jesus has achieved it for us. Dare I say He earned our salvation. And we cannot earn it. We can't do enough. We can't be good enough. He's done it. All we need to do is accept it. And be confident of it. And guys, we we can work Knowing that there's it takes the pressure off. We don't have to do enough things. We just need to be faithful with what God puts in front of us. Two weeks ago, then he talked about walking. That because we are Jesus has accomplished all these things and we can rest in his accomplishments, we are able to walk in this world. We are able to live the way he wants us to live in this world. See, the way he wants us to live is very different. Than the world around you. It's very different. And because of what he accomplished and our faith in that, we can walk in this world. And last week, he talked about standing. That we are going to be attacked. And he talked about the full armor of God and that those parts are all necessary. I thought he did a fabulous job. If you want a synopsis, if you weren't here the last three weeks and you want a synopsis of all three weeks, I encourage you to go back to last week. He did a wonderful job of tying all all those those three things together. Now, I've got to tell you as we go on, if you've already looked at the notes, it may look like I'm repeating what he did last week. Um, It's not entirely the case. I'll get to repeating in a minute. But One of the things that's happened with Alan and I doing a series together, we didn't talk about it being this way, or I didn't anyway, it just kind of fell out this way, where, where Alan kind of looks at the deeper principles. Digs deep. More theological, if you will, if you like that word. And then I come in and make it more practical. Okay, he talks about, okay, this is, this is what our faith is all about. This is what God says. This is what it means. And then, just the way it's worked out. Again, then I come in and I say, okay, now this is how it plays out in our everyday life. And so we're kind of doing that. Last week I thought he did a wonderful job, but I'm sitting in the back, and I hear him talking, And I'm thinking he did a wonderful job. And he gets down to the armor of God, where he's going through it piece by piece. And I look at it and I go, number one, I looked at the notes and I go, he's doesn't, he he's not very practical here. And I talked to him afterwards and I said that's my only only critique. And he goes, I didn't have time to be. I go, that's exactly what I thought. You know, we'd have been here till three in the afternoon if you got practical with everything you had on there. And so we discussed it. And I said, well, how about I go back next week? and we re-look at the armor of God, and we look at it in a more practical way. And he thought that would be a fabulous idea. Now with that thought in mind, I want to tell you that... Well, two things, okay? Some of this time, it seems like repetition. Somebody told me that the last the last time I was up here for three weeks in a row, and they said, you kind of just reworked everything uh, each, each week. Or, you know, added a little bit, twisted it a little different. You know, didn't do anything wrong, but... We, some people notice that. Can I tell you that is biblical? Did you know that? Repeating yourself is biblical. If you look in one of Peter's letters in the first chapter, I forget it's chapter 1 or chapter 2, down around verse 12, he talks about, I'm going to always remind you of these things. And he goes on and he says, even though you know them, and you're firmly in them, I'm going to remind you about them. And then he goes on to say, I find it right as long as I live in the tent of this body to remind you of these things. So if you ever think I'm repeating things, it's because I am. I mean, that's the way Peter did it? I think that's pretty good authority to repeat things. Is it not? Okay, think about that the next time your grandma or grandpa is telling you a story you've heard a bunch. All right. Not saying it's quite the same, but anyway. Anyway, um, guys, that's what we're going to be doing today. I do want to do one little disclaimer in the, in the, in the teacher service. I have I, I I learned exactly what I already thought in that I have way too much material here. So we are literally don't get worried if you're looking at the time and I'm only halfway through. That we will chop off early, and uh, so that everybody can get to lunch on time. Uh, I believe I can. There's a, there's a proverb that says with many words, sin is not absent. So I will cut myself off when the time comes. Anyway, today what we are going to try to talk about is practical armor. Last week, Alan talked about the armor of God and what the, each of the pieces did and how they what they provided for us. And we're just basically going to go back through those and try to talk about them in a little more practical way than what he had time for. And if you look in your notes, in Ephesians chapter 6 is where he finds the passage we're looking at. And this is what it says. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. You see, guys, in the book of Ephesians, He talked about sitting. He talked about walking. And then at the end of the chapter, He talks about standing. If you look at that passage in just three or four times, He talks about that is the position we are to take while being attacked. It is a position of, t- of standing. Now one thing, guys, I want to mention here is that attacks are very real. I mean, if you are living for Jesus, you can expect to be attacked. In fact, if you look in Second Corinthians chapter 10, this should be on the screen, it won't be on your notes, it says, "...for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does." The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See guys, the first thing there when we talk about being under attack and being in a battle, you need to understand is the battlefield is your mind. That's what this passage is teaching you. That's the battlefield for the Christian. That's where the enemy attacks. That's why it's saying in this passage that we have divine power to demolish strongholds. And he goes on to say we demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought To make it obedient to Jesus. You see, here's the truth of the matter. I don't care who you are in this room, if you've never followed Jesus, or if you've been following Jesus for decades. The truth of the matter is, you have thoughts in your head that God is opposed to. That is the reality of the situation. You have bought into beliefs. You have bought into ideas. You have bought into arguments that are not... Godly. Now, God's desire is to, for you to make those thoughts, those beliefs, obedient to Jesus. That's what He's after. Do you know what the enemy's after? The enemy's after the prevention of that. And even to go farther, to create new thoughts that are not from God. Now, the reality also of the situation, guys, is that not only do you have thoughts that oppose God or that God is opposed to thoughts and beliefs. The reality is you're in one of two positions. Either one is you are under attack. Paul told Timothy that anybody wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. In 1 Peter 4, Peter told the Christians, he said, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as if something strange We're happening to you. In Ephesians 6 that we just read, he talked about having this armor so that we can withstand the attacks. One of the realities is, is you are under attack right now. That is the truth of the matter. And I just want to quote Peter. Don't be surprised. It's part of the territory. You not only can expect it, you should expect it. The last time I was up here, I've had a terrible time for the last three or four months being focused. My wife can probably explain that to you. She constantly tells me I have too much going on, and I agree with her. I have a hard time being focused, but three weeks ago, four weeks ago, the last time I was up here, I was having a very difficult time. I had a very difficult time preparing to be up here. I had a very difficult time that morning as I got ready to get up here. And as I was praying through it that morning, one of the things that, that was revealed to me is this is part of the territory, buddy. I mean, I came to the conclusion I had some things to say that the enemy didn't want me to say. He didn't want me to say clearly. He didn't want me to be focused on them. So all of a sudden, guys, I just accepted the fact that that was what was going on. And instead of going, "Whoa, is me, I took it as encouragement. You see, guys, that is the reality of the situation. You are under that right now. If you feel like you're under attack, you're supposed to be. That's going to happen. That means you are a threat to the enemy. The other reality is, you're not under attack. And the reason for that is you're not a threat to the enemy. If you go through your life and you don't feel any pressure, you're probably not trying very hard to really follow Jesus. Several years ago, I was uh, when I first started as a young man, I was college age, I really got serious about following Jesus, and I went to a, a, a father-son banquet over at my father's church on Father's Day, I believe it was, over in St. Louis, and they had a former uh, football player from the St. Louis Cardinals, the Big Red, was in there. I don't remember who he was. He wasn't a big name, and uh, he, he was a Christian, he was a believer, and he spoke about following Jesus. And he talked about how when he was in the locker room, there was no persecution for him. People knew he was a Christian, and he received zero persecution to him, for him. And me, in my youthful arrogance, I went up to him as I was leaving, and I said, hey, you said there was no persecution, right? And he's like, yeah, that's right. And then I said, you need to look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Because 2 Timothy 3.12 says that anyone living a, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now the arrogant part comes in, it doesn't say you're gonna necessarily, if you're a football player, it's gonna happen in the locker room. You know, and I was trying to say, look buddy, you need to really examine your, your Christianity because you said you weren't persecuted there. And I'm not, there may be situations like that in sports or in professional sports where a Christian is open about their, their beliefs and they're not persecuted. That doesn't mean they won't hit persecution somewhere else. But the truth of the matter is, guys, if you are serious about living God's way, you are going to rub somebody the wrong way. Somebody will not be happy about it. And the enemy will attack. And if you are not rubbing the enemy of the wrong way, the enemy will leave you alone. And so guys, as, as we begin this, I believe that's, you, you, you've got to look at that very real. You've got to do a gut check. You've got to look at what's going on. And you have to ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I really serious about living for Jesus? And does that show up in me being attacked? There you go, guys. So that leads us to the point of... Where will the f- spiritual forces of evil try to attack me? The first place they're going to try to attack me is my mobility. Alan spoke about this last week. In Ephesians 6, verse 14, the beginning of the verse says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Alan was telling us about the belt of truth is to gird up the rest of their clothes and to give them freedom, to give them mobility and to hang other weapons on. You know, back in those days, they basically wore togas, dresses, skirts, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. The belt was designed to keep that out of the way, so they had freedom of movement. And guys, I want to let you know, as a believer in Jesus, you should have a freedom of movement. Jesus said it in John 8. He said, what? You've heard it? The truth will set you free. He goes on to say that, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And guys, there's a freedom that comes—a freedom of movement, a freedom to not worry, a freedom to be less stressed than the rest of the world. I didn't, you know, guys. That's just it. I, I want to say one side quick side note about stress. Okay, I said less stressed. I didn't say stress-free. All right, because if you're serious about following Jesus. You're going to feel some stress sometime and all you got to do is go back and read about Jesus in the garden. <laughs> okay? When you're fighting your will versus God's will, that's stress. You will feel it sometimes. But guys, you will feel less stress. And God has designed us for to live this, this less stressed life. This freedom of our movement. This freedom to really explore our faith. This freedom to share our faith and to be a light and salt in this world. But the truth is, there's some restrictions. There's things that restrict that faith. And guys, I wanna, we want to talk about some of these real quick here. And I'm going to try to talk fast. I don't have the interpreter over here today, so I should be able to talk fast. No, I'm very conscious. I get up here, I get talking fast, and all of a sudden I realize the interpreter's going... And I purposely slow down. Uh, But anyway, guys, the first tradition that that will restrict the truth and restrict my movement is traditions. Traditions. What are you talking about, Gary? Traditions are defined by Jesus in Matthew 15 as rules taught by men. That is what they are. Look at this passage here in Matthew 15 and we'll read it. What's going on here is Jesus has been confronted by the Pharisees because He broke the tradition of the elders. And specifically, Him and His disciples did not wash their hands before they eat. Really? That's what you're going to pick on? I mean, it seems very, very minor. But that's what they him about. And this is Jesus' reply. He said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship Me in vain. Their teachings are but merely human rules. You see, guys, when it comes to this, we can have rules that can negate the Word of God. That's what this says. It's what Jesus told them. You have traditions that nullify the Word of God, and these traditions are merely rules taught by men. Now the truth of the matter is, we are surrounded... By traditions. We're surrounded by rules taught by men. Some of them are set up by denominations over big churches, some of them are set up by individual churches. And dare I say, we set up a few rules in our own mind. You know that? I mean, we do. There's, there's all kinds of examples about this. And they try to achieve this. They have a good purpose. We're going to look later at Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, it says they have the appearance of godliness. They have the appearance of wisdom. But rules lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see, guys, what happens is, it's easier to make a rule than it is to learn how to live by the Spirit. You know that? It's easier to make rules than it is to teach you how to live by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's easier for me to say you should not go to an R-rated movie. It's easier for me to say you should not wear shorts shorter than here. And you can go through them over and over and over again. And you see, the purpose of that is very simple. And it, it has a good purpose. That's why it has an appearance of wisdom. All right? Why? You don't go to an R-rated movie, there's a really good chance you won't see something that's qualified as pornography. Okay, how many times have you been in an R-rated movie and you're like, I shouldn't be here. If you're being led by the Spirit, you'll feel that way. Let me put it that way. If you're being led by hormones, you're thinking something different. Guys, those are good things. And you can come up with all kinds of rules. A dating couple should never be alone together. What's the goal of that? You'll avoid sexual immorality. Okay? Does that mean that every dating couple should never be alone together? That's not how that works. That's not how that works. And guys, we come up with rules of our own that much like this nullify us from the Word of God. I was speaking with uh, someone the other night and we were talking about my daughter and I have an ongoing conversation about how to help the poor. It's an ongoing thing, ongoing conversation. She's really challenged. She's read through the Gospels this year on her own, and she's convicted. We're not doing enough for the poor. And I tell her, I said, or I tell her, I I tell her of my individual efforts. And one of my individual efforts, as you well know, because I've shared it before, is to pick up hitchhikers. Now, what comes to your mind the first time you think about picking up a hitchhiker? A serial killer. (laughs) Front row. Am I gonna die? You see guys, you can come up with a rule that says, I need to, I need to live in a safe way. I need to be responsible with this life God has given me. And that means I need to avoid the danger of picking up a hitchhiker. Now, please be clear. I'm not, I'm not saying go pick up every hitchhiker. All right. I don't pick up every one. And I do believe you need to be, you need to have some level of caution just to nullify. I'm not. Guys, when I pick up a hitchhiker, I feel very clear in my mind is the Holy Spirit saying, pick them up. Pick them up. Take them farther than they need to go to make it more beneficial for them. Give them money. I have taken them to my place of business. Okay? Boy, they could really take me for a loop. You see what I'm saying, guys? If I had this rule that says I got to be safe, I got to not take risks. You see, now Jesus told this story that we know as the story of the Good Samaritan. That He tells us the exact opposite. He says that loving your neighbor means you care more about their needs than you do about your safety. That's one of the things He reads there. See, guys, I could come up with that, and it could sound good, have the appearance of wisdom. But guess what? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good. Traditions restrict you. Now, I define traditions as rules taught by men. Do you know what rules are used for? I talked to the teachers and they said, for control people. Yes, that is true. Rules are used to control people. Do you know what the, how to tell if you have a tradition that is, that is a rule taught by men? Is when you use that rule to judge someone else. Or someone is using that rule to judge you. You see, guys, because that's the second thing that the truth frees you from is other people's judgments. Look at this passage here in Colossians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their un spiritual mind. Young people have a saying that they use all the time. Don't judge me. You know, now it's usually said in jest when somebody's pointing something out, but who wants to be judged? Who likes to feel judged? I don't like to feel judged. Now, this presents a little bit of a problem. How can I prevent somebody from judging me? How can you do that? That's what it's saying. Do not let anyone judge you. I can't stop you from judging me. There are people who judge me for being up here. Do you know that? People have judged me in this room for what I wear. Is that right, Cassie? Specifically my sandals, correct? That's right. (laughs) Great sense of style. I've heard I've been judged. I cannot stop that. Now I don't have to accept that judgment, though. You see, guys, that's what this is talking about. If somebody is judging you, and judging is used for condemning and for punishing, you do not have to accept that. When somebody else is judging you, um, you know, how how do you do that? How do you how do you stop it? You can't. You just don't accept it, guys. You just don't accept it. When somebody makes a judgment on you, I mean, and that goes on all the time in Christian circles. Where somebody's doing something that the other person, you don't want the other person to do. Mike Kiffmeyer and I, we go back 30, over 30 years in our walk with Jesus. And when back in that time when we were first starting to walk with Jesus, 1985, okay, we had a little rift that was ongoing. You know what it was? I thought that Christians should not speed. And I had a rule that they should not speed. Alright? And I remember I was on a trip with Mike and I'm in the back seat of his car and um, I, I see that he's speeding. And instead of saying anything to him, I open my Bible to look at the passage again about submitting to the governing authorities that you find in Hebrews 13. And I am judging Mike on this. And we were in conflict. Okay? You don't even have to be in conflict. All you have to do is say, well, I disagree. I disagree with your judgment. Guys, the third thing that you are free from is fears. You are freed from fears. The truth will set you free from fears. Now with that being said, I'll get you a little bit of a teaser. The month of October, I've told you I wanted to do this. We've decided that the month of October the sermon series is going to be about fear. Okay, didn't choose to do it just because of Halloween. It just kind of happened that way. Alright? But guys, you need to understand something. And this is a little bit of a a prep for that. Fear is the polar opposite of faith. It really is. It is the polar opposite of faith. And guys, I can can tell you, because as I've become aware of my fears and how they control me, I see it all over the place. Look at these passages here, one in First John 4:18. It says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love." You see guys, the, the connection there again, between fear, the, the freedom gives you, and the judgment, the judgment has to do with punishment. Okay? We're freed from that. We don't have to let our fears take us over. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, "...since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death." See guys, that's one of the things I definitely want to talk about in October is a fear of death. Because that's what it's saying. The fear of death has been broken. We are free from that. If the fear of death is gone, what else is there to fear in this world? I mean, when you understand the whole Gospel, and you understand that our lives here on earth are but a mere breath, they are so short. The things we're afraid to happen is so insignificant. The truth of the matter is, guys, you've heard uh, adults or counselors tell teenagers before, you know, when they're in some uproar or drama with their friends, and they say, you know, five years from now, this really isn't going to matter. It really isn't going to matter which way this goes or how it plays out. Guys, the truth of the matter is, when it comes to eternity, what's going on right now, what you're worried about, what you're afraid of, really is not going to matter. And so guys, I want to ask you, you, know, you want to do a little homework in preparation for October, I ask you to what your fears are. To really examine yourself and, and see what you're, what you're afraid of. And I ask you to go one step further and to ask God to show you what you're afraid of. Alright? Okay. The last one there, guys, and I'm not going to talk about this just for time, is approval from others. That is a restriction that the truth will free you from. Is that need for approval. That goes back to judging. And that's part of the reason I skipped it. If I'd have thought about it, I'd have left it off. Anyway, the number two thing. About the armor, is my desires. My desires. He talks about with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And Alan spoke about last week. That the breastplate is designed to protect your vital Organs. Why? Because your vital organs take a hit. What happens? You die very quickly. When I'm hunting deer, I want to put my arrow in the vital areas. And guys, the breastplate of our our breastplate of righteousness is what protects us from that. And that is our desires. I ask you a question. This is not a biblical term, but I believe it is useful. Do you know what your dominant life values are? It's another way of saying your, your, your desires. See, but it puts it in its real perspective because we have some desires that are bigger than others and that influence us more than others. It's one of the things we'll talk about with fear. I believe there's some people who fear is their dominant life value. They're afraid of what might happen. And they have some specifics in mind. And that dictates how they live. They're afraid of being financially irresponsible or going bankrupt so they don't spend money. And they hoard money. It dominates them. And you have dominant life values. You have desires that again, I believe are not from God, that you have to deal with, that you have to look at. Because if you don't, those desires will kill your faith. Is what they will do. You see, guys, I asked what your dominant life value is, and I believe it's in your notes. There, I've got about three examples that is there. One, Romans 1:17, it says, "The righteous will live by faith." Is that a, a desire of yours? Is to live by faith? What does that mean? You make decisions based off what God says, and you're not sure of the outcome. You trust Him for the outcome. That's what that means. Ephesians 5.10, it says, find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord is you don't seek justice for yourself. You might seek it for someone else. If you find out what pleases the Lord, you embrace suffering. You expect it as part of of following Jesus because Jesus suffered. That's what First Peter 2 tells us. Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk by the Spirit and you will, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is that your dominant life value, to walk in the Spirit? You see, guys, too many times when we're having struggles with sin, we try to not do the sin and what we should be doing is trying to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Because that's what it says. This just blows my mind. My mind's been opened up to this recently. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say set up a bunch of rules to try to keep you away from sin or keep you away from temptation. It says walk in the Spirit. Can you say that that is your dominant desire. You see, guys, that will protect you from sin. That will protect your faith. I want to talk very quickly just about three desires that disable my protection. The breastplate of righteousness. The first one is a desire for safety. Don't have any scriptures there with it, guys, but if you read your Bible, you will see very clearly that time after time after time after time again, God puts His people or expects His people to be in a position where their safety is risked and to trust Him. Whether that's an emotional safety, or you're afraid your feelings will get hurt, okay, or somebody will use something against you, or you feel you'll be judged. Guys, it will short-circuit you. The second one is anger. In Ephesians 4 it says, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Guys, that word translated foothold there, sometimes it's translated give the devil a place. It's one of these deals where translating from the Greek doesn't really do it the justice that these English translations have. But what it means is you are giving the devil a place of influence. You are giving the devil an area to work. While you are trying to demolish the arguments that we saw in 2 Corinthians 10 and talked about at the beginning of the lesson, and you're you're trying to do that When you're holding on to anger, what that is saying is you have the devil at the table to persuade you. And you're listening to him. That's what it's about. If you want to disable the breastplate of righteousness and you want your faith to be shot real quick, you hang on to anger. Now be very clear, it does not say anger is wrong. It does say hanging on to it is a bad thing. Okay? The third one, guys, and closely related to this is bitterness. It says, goes on in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, guys, the thing with anger isn't just anger. It goes on to bitterness. Bitterness does the same thing as anger. I believe that's why it's in this passage. It's it's a continuation of thought going on here. And bitterness gives the devil an opportunity to whisper in your ear and you will listen. That's why it's saying, guys, you need to learn how to forgive. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know who's done it. I don't know how long they did it for. I don't know if they've confessed it, if they are apologizing. I can tell you this God wants you to forgive him. And if you choose to be bitter about it and to hang on to it and to be angry about it, you are short circuiting your faith. There's an example of this in Acts chapter 8. And what this is in Acts chapter 8 is is Philip goes to a town called Samaria. He begins preaching. Everybody, the city, he has many people become believers in Jesus in the city. And there's a guy there named Simon. And Simon is what they call a sorcerer. And he was amazing people with his, with his powers. Whether it was merely magic as we know today, or if there was something demonic involved where he was actually had some powers. And some people even thought he was the great power, thought he was God. And he hears the message of Jesus and he believes and he becomes a believer and he's baptized. And then all of a sudden he's he's amazed at the the miracles Philip is performing because they dwarf his. And then Peter and John, the apostles, come down and they lay their hands on people and give the ability to perform miracles to just ordinary people. And he goes, I want to do that. And what he says, he offers them money. He says, give me this ability too, so who I lay my hands on. And this is the Apostle's response in Acts chapter 8, verse 23. It says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. He goes on, he says, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now, I think it's a fair assumption to say, well, obviously it's fair to say he was bitter because the Bible tells us he was bitter. But I believe that bitterness may have been rooted in the fact that these guys took over, they became the big show. He was the big show and now they're the big show. And he's bitter about, you took away my, my, my show. I don't get the attention anymore. And you won't even allow me to have this attention like you. I want to buy it. And I believe that's why the apostles narrow it down to bitterness. You see, guys, what's happening here is bitterness is an arrow that's got through. The breastplate of righteousness is gone. His desire isn't to please God, his desire is to feed his bitterness. And it's so bad. What does he say? Pray to the Lord in the hope, in the hope that God may forgive you. I mean, that's some pretty deep, bitter stuff. And as I was saying, it takes off the breastplate of righteousness and it will kill your faith. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am way over. And as I promised, uh, I am just going to stop. I will move off. Pick up next week. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know we're over time. And so I'm going to conclude real quick here. And guys, I just want to, as as, as I conclude, and we've only looked at two pieces of the armor of God. Okay, and again, trying to make it practical to go, how does this impact me? How can I put on the armor and avoid my faith? Guys, I want to ask where you are today. Because I started this lesson saying, There's two realities. Either you're under attack or you're not. And if you're not under attack, it's because you're not making an effort or much of an effort to really live the life that Jesus died for you to be able to live. And so, guys, I just want to close out asking you to examine yourself to say, number one, am I there? Do I really have that desire? Am I really living my life that way? And number two, do I need to put on some armor? And if so, how can I do that? Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, I thank You. There's a lot here to talk about. didn't mean to talk so long, but Father, I believe You wanted me to say it. Father, I just want to pray right now that we understand as we look at this armor of God. Father, I've heard about the armor of God since I was a child. I saw it on flannel boards in Sunday school class and in VBS. And I heard about it at church camp. I can remember even Bob Quick preaching a sermon at church camp on the armor of God. But Father, I really didn't understand what it meant. I didn't understand how I can expose myself to Satan's arrows, how I can expose my thoughts through bitterness and anger. Father, how you can, how my res- freedom can be restricted by judgments and by traditions and by fear. Father, I want to pray right now. It is my desire that Greater Alton is a place where Your followers experience life the way You intend for it to be. Father, that's with the freedom and that's with the real faith that impacts the way we live. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.